Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Julie will be the female voice. I will be the uh, male voice for the next uh, 40 to 7 hours, 40 minutes to 7 hours. You we always couldn't... get me like really hyped up. You're like, hey, everybody. It's the Drew Goodman Podcast. Yeah, I do the Ted Knight um, or Ted Baxter. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. It's number 12. We were going to mm-hmm. keep counting, right? We're going to keep yep. counting for as long as that is appropriate. We have a great show. We have Buddy Black on and uh a lengthy kind of end of season interview with buddy which um buddy's great um he's always candid and he'll assess where the where the rockies are and and who impressed him and and what he is excited about going forward where clearly they need to be better because they did not have a good season as we all know we'll talk broncos speaking of not having a good season uh thus far we'll be uh, talking broncos on the other side and uh, first and foremost, and most importantly, how art thou? I'm good. Are Although you? I don't know. Um, I went to the Rockies game Saturday night. Kristen mm-hmm. and I are marketing person. We left early. Of course, that's my thing. And we, we missed the, um, you know, Trevor Story game winner. And then I went to the Bronco game the next day. And I, I don't know. We're going to talk Broncos, but I, I don't know how they lost. I, I can't believe they're 0-4. I grew up here. I and it was okay did. in the 70s. It's not okay in 2019. They could be is... lovable losers in the early 70s, mm-hmm. but it does not fly now. I would agree with that. And it's and it, it's been uh, very disappointing. Now, I will say this. We didn't have lofty expectations because neither one of us picked them to have a winning season. I think we were 8-8, eight and 9-7-ish eight, and seven uh, range. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if things went well. Right. If things went well. Um, we'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, Ideal Home Loans is uh, is our major sponsor, and we want to thank them uh, off the top. They're going to bring us the uh, Buddy Black interview uh, in a little bit. But the season ended, and I give the Rockies credit. It doesn't mean much in certainly a month from now. You're not going to be saying, hey, wow, they swept the Brewers, a team that is in the postseason. Wasn't that awesome? But it does speak to the fact that they didn't just mail it in and say, hey, we're going on vacation in 72 hours. Let's just get this thing done. There are teams that do that. But they have high character guys. And despite the enormous disappointment of 2019, Mm -hmm. I love how they finished because it speaks to the individuals in that locker room. So we will talk Broncos. I know the locker room right now seems to be at 0-4, uh, breaking down a little bit right now. At the end of the season, so what you're alluding to is that the clubhouse didn't break down, right? I mean, when things go poorly, mm-hmm. fingers get pointed. Uh, I don't feel like I, I – I know there was frustration, and today was – we're taping this on Tuesday. Today was the end of the season press conference with Buddy and also with Dick Monfort and also with Jeff Breidich and you were there we can talk about that but it doesn't sound like the clubhouse just got shattered no there's there's guys that are I think to a man everybody was tremendously um, disappointed in how the whole thing went down and they were in a pretty good place the latter part of June when there were six games over 500, and they go to L.A. in the three-game sweep where they get walked off each time, and it plummeted from there. But I don't look at a singular event, Julie, and say, oh, it was because of that series in L.A. The pitching was not the same as it was a year ago. Injuries were brought up quite a bit today, but – to the credit of Jeff Breidich and, and Buddy and to Dick Monfort, they didn't utilize that as an excuse. They said, yeah, toward the end of the year, there were a lot of 
injuries, but we've had pretty good health by and large. I think Dick at one point mentioned, listen, the Yankees have had a ton of injuries this year, and they ended up winning over 100 games. So they weren't going to lean on that as a crutch. Did it you know, have an effect on them, certainly you know, from mid-August going forward? Absolutely. They, they didn't have their rotation. But this season went south before then. Uh, they did not pitch nearly as well the, as they did a year ago. What made you from the press conference think, okay, they're really going to do something here? Because I read, I wasn't there, but I read a comments and I think it was Breidich that said, well, we're probably not going to make a big offseason move. So as a fan, you kind of hear that and go, oh. I mean, you got to do something, right? So what did you take away from that press conference where you go, okay, they're going to do something. They're not going to just stand pat. I, I, I think no roster ever comes back intact. So if you're thinking they're going to sign the biggest free agent out there, that's not going to happen. I think they were upfront and candid about that. Um, you know, the television deal with AT&T Sportsnet was brought up. That doesn't kick in for another year after the 2020 season. And again, Dick was forthright and he said, you know, yeah, that will bring not as big an influx of money. We'll kind of maybe touch on that later on. When we get into the the whole Avalanche Nuggets situation with with altitude, but the whole landscape is changing in regional sports television. So they and I'm not privy to the numbers, but they they are going to have more money. But mm-hmm. you know, next year they they're going to have a pretty high payroll as it is. I, I could see them making a a trade in the off season. I could see them manipulating the roster but in terms of the you know the big national story holy cow look who the Rockies signed that's probably not happening so I think they're going to bank on some changes within their roster maybe via trade and then the hope and expectation that some guys you know like a Kyle Freeland who's a young competitive talented guy doesn't have a six-plus ERA next year and pitches more to his talent level. So what did you take from that press conference since you were there and reading body language? And, I mean, were they salty? Were they business as normal? What did you take? You go, oh, okay. Uh, Good question. I I took away that they shared the absolute fans, uh, you know, feeling that this was a terrible year. Dick said this is the hardest year he's had since he's been an owner. And because they and, and Jeff mentioned it and, and Dick alluded to it, they had high expectations. They were a playoff team in 17. They were a playoff team in 18. They wanted to build on that and, and carry it further. Their goal remains to win a world championship. So, yes, it was it was profoundly disappointing. And and they acknowledged that, I thought, at, you know, at most every turn. What about Nolan? He had some comments toward the end of the year that I think, you know, raised some eyebrows. Yeah. Listen, he's their best player, and he's their highest paid player, and he wants to win. And I don't I don't mind that. I don't mind that he said that, uh, you know, this stinks and, and this sucks and, you know, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Now, when he said that, you know, you catch him after, after a ball game – he loves his teammates. He's going to do everything to support his teammates and get better. I think he was just venting at that point in time. The other underlying theme that came out, and this Patrick Saunders of Denver Post asked this question, the first question, and a couple of other guys asked similar types of questions about, well, is this a rebuild? 
because Nolan at some point in time evidently told Patrick this feels like a rebuild. Mm-hmm. And the response from the from all three of the guys up front, you know, Dick, Buddy, and Jeff, Breidich, was no. I mean, this is not a rebuild. I mean, if it was a rebuild, you don't go out and spend $260 million on Nolan Arenado. You have four all-stars. Teams that are rebuilding don't, can't look at their roster and go, well, we got four all-stars. I mean, you have we, – we know who they had. Story was a great player. And they and they and Dick made a commitment. He says, I, we're going to do everything we can to keep Trevor Story. We're not going to let him walk out the door. And they have a history, uh, by and large, of keeping their – homegrown star players. Uh, so they said this in no way, shape, or form is a rebuild. I think they want to look at this year as an aberration and not just sit back and go, well, that's what it was. They go, we have to work you know, twice as hard to get back to where we were, but we feel like the nucleus, the backbone of this team with those four all-stars, with Herman Marquez, with John Gray, with hopefully a you know, a Kyle Freeland that pitches more like 2018, they can get back to where they were. Sometimes you hear those press conferences and you hear guys say things, you go, mm, I don't really believe that, but I believe that they don't think it's a rebuild. I don't think it's a rebuild. I don't, it's not a rebuild. It doesn't, that doesn't Detroit's make any sense. Detroit's rebuilding. Right. Miami is rebuilding, right? Baltimore is rebuilding. They're in the early stages. The teams that have done it really well, Houston is the, is the poster child for that, right? Yeah. They lost a hundred plus games you know, a handful of years ago, a couple of years in a row, and now they win a hundred plus games every year. So they they did well in the draft. They did well with player acquisition. They did well in Latin America. The Rockies have better talent than their record would indicate this year. Now they have to improve that talent, and they have to pitch a whole lot better. And Buddy touched on that also philosophically. He feels like, and he he said, "This is on me." They got away from some of the, he didn't go into grand detail, but some of the fundamentals of good pitching. I know what he's talking about. They didn't throw enough strikes. I mean, way too many walks. So before we get to Buddy, which we were just about to do in a second, give me the highlight of the season for you and the low light of the season. Well, the low light is is the collective fact that they won 71 games. I mean, going in, if somebody said they're going to win 71 games, I'd say, did you start drinking in this, this morning and didn't <laughs> stop? I said, no way. This team, I thought, honestly, Julie, if this team had what you describe as a disappointing year, they would finish 500. They'd be 81 and 81. I thought they had a chance to be a 90-plus win team again, and and why not? They were returning everybody. everybody. And I like the Daniel Murphy. Listen, I'm like everybody. Nobody wanted to see DJ go, but I, Daniel Murphy's always hit. Daniel Murphy didn't have a great year. You know, was did the finger affect him more uh, after? Who knows? He didn't have a great year in the field. But I, I thought they were going to have a good year. So the low light is the fact that they won 71 games when the expectations were so high. Mm-hmm. The highlight, you know, Trevor Story becoming just a steady. I, I'm picking at things here now. Just He's like Nolan. Every year you can expect he's going to hit 35 to 40 homers. He's going to play gold glove defense. He's a joy to watch both those guys on the left side. Charlie continuing to, you know, he's not a great defender, but continuing to swing the bat the way he has. I mean, when I go to the ballpark and when you go to the ballpark and fans go to the ballpark, I mean, you have a chance to see guys that are really impactful. And then in September for me, a highlight was watching Garrett Hampson start to figure it out. 
looking at a at a young kid, Sammy Hilliard, and say, "Wow, this this kid could be another in a long line of you know special position players the Rockies have developed." So, for me, you know, those are the highlights. But you know, what you'll take away in retrospect is that this team went to the playoffs two years in a row and almost won the division last year and and finished in fourth this year. Not good. So one of the highlights of our podcast is Buddy Black joining the podcast, and we'll do it right after this. Hey, as always, a big shout out to our friends at Ideal Home Loans. They're owned by Brent Ivinson. They've been in business since 2001. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and I don't just gloss over that. I think that's really important when you're going out and you're going to go do business with, with somebody. So if you're in the market for a home loan, if you're in the market to refinance, if you have some credit card debt and you want to figure out a way to... Uh, to better pay that off at a low interest rate, now is the time to do it. Give Ideal Home Loans a call, 303-867-7000. Once again, 303-867-7000. You can apply online at idealhomeloans.com if that's easier for you. Again, that's idealhomeloans.com. They're terrific at what they do. They're a local direct mortgage banker, and their employees are salary-based lending specialists. We've talked about that before. You're not going to get the the over-the-top uh sales pitch where where you feel like you got to take a shower after you're not going to get any of that they're absolutely top-notch again they have an a-plus rating with the better business bureau and uh, they have been terrific over the years they're the preferred mortgage provider of the colorado rockies so they have that going for them every year as well 303-867-7000 is their number 303-867-7000 it's ideal home loans now it is time for our deal, Ideal Home Loans interview, and we sat down with the skipper to talk about the 2019 season, Buddy Black. When you sit back in the offseason and assess what transpired, you have a drive coming up to San Diego. There, there's going to be a whole lot of thoughts. Do you begin and say, oh, all right, here's what went well, or do you go the other direction and say, okay, here's what didn't go well, and, and it's why we're not playing in October? Well, uh, you know, Drew, that, you know, that is, uh, you know, I've sort of already done that. Uh, and it starts from the first game of the year because we, we meaning uh, coaching staff, uh, Jeff and his guys, uh, even the players, you know, we, we talk about each and every game. Uh, so when you think about it, I mean, the process started from that first game in Miami when, when Kyle Freeland pitched a great game and we won. Uh, we talked about that, what went well, who played well, uh, to the second game to Marquez where we won again. Uh, to, to each and every night. Then, the, then the, you know, that, that the next two games in Miami – you remember we didn't hit much. Uh, we struck out 14 times in one game, and we said, what happened? Why did we strike out uh, as many times as we did? And, and that goes all the way to the last weekend against the, against the Brewers when, uh, you know, when those games uh, played out. So uh, the big picture uh, in, a, in, a, in a Reader's Digest version, uh, obviously we didn't pitch as well as we needed to pitch. Uh, you know, we had a couple guys throw the ball well, right? Herman had a good year uh, until he was shelved. John Gray, I thought, threw the ball well. Scott Oberg threw the ball well. 
Carlos Estevez uh, threw the ball well pretty consistently all year. Uh, but I think the, uh, you know, the rest of the guys, there was, uh, you know, too much inconsistency and, and variability uh, of, of how we pitched. <clears throat> and when you don't pitch, it's going to make it really, really tough uh, over the long haul. Offensively, we had guys with, with big years. Nolan had another big year. Charlie had a big year. Uh, Trevor uh, had a solid year. Uh, David Dahl uh, made the all-star team. You know, had a had a really good first half. Uh, second half uh, got a little tougher for David, but <clears throat> in and amongst those that six month period, uh, you know, there were some valleys. Even with the good guys, and 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 when those when those valleys hit, and we didn't score a lot, we didn't pitch well enough to overcome that, and that's where a lot of losses came. You know, especially in July and August, uh, and early in the year, in uh, the first couple weeks. So. Uh, you know, that's how I sort of look at, uh, you know, the season. Uh, you know, we, you know, there were, were the, there were times when we really looked like the team of 17 and 18. Uh, and there were times when we were very far from it, which was, which was frustrating for me as a coach and, and, and our, our coaching staff because it seemed like, uh, you know, in 17, 18, uh, Low-scoring games, we pitched well enough, and we got the big hit, and we won. High-scoring games, we hit well enough, and and, and we sort of, uh, you know, worked, uh, you know, the bullpen worked uh, good enough to to secure a win. So uh, I know I'm rambling on here, uh, but uh, you know, when you have a guy that leads the league and saves like Holland did in '17, uh, that means you're you're winning a lot of games late, uh, and the games are are in a safe situation. And then again with Wade Davis, uh, 43 saves, led the National League. That means the games that you have leads late, more than more than often you win them. And this year, uh, that didn't happen. That was extremely inconsistent how we, how we, uh, you know, how we won games. Even though we were, I think we were 22 and 21 and run one games, which. Uh, you know, I, looking at that, I didn't, I didn't think that was the, was the record. But, uh, you know, again, I think, uh, you know, it starts with the pitching, Drew, and, and we just didn't pitch well enough. How do you gauge whether you're closer to what you did in, in 18 with a very similar cast that, that you brought back in 19, or if there's some red flags, or, or as you know, as an athlete, sometimes there is declining performance, and you can't just say, hey, Willie Mays, we run him out there, well, this is 1954, right? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a really good question. <clears throat> uh, again, even you can go to this year, we're the same team uh, that, you know, May and June – uh, our records there were, you know, pretty solid, not great, but you know, you know, we were, you know, eight to ten games over 500 in those two months, and then July and August, uh, you know, well under 500. So what team are we? I don't know. <clears throat> and you go to players, uh, you know, is uh, I'd like to think the consistency of our big boys are it's going to continue, uh, but you know, specifically to certain guys, I mean, uh, some some guys had some tough years, right, uh, on the pitching side. Um, you know, our, you know, I think where certain guys are age-wise, uh, there's still a there's still a uh, an opportunity for them to bounce back and 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 be productive and contributors. Uh, you know, I think there's some offensive players that are still age-wise and physically in a pretty good spot to to be contributors and productive. So. Uh, that's the that's the age old question, right? 
uh, and you're in in the critical eye, uh, you know. And, and sometimes you you there's there's not much you can do about it based on, you know, where guys are in their contracts or uh, in that situation. And uh, but that's uh, you know that's the ultimate question that uh, you know leader general managers uh, manager consultation coach consultation those are the ones that that uh, are. Are, are the toughest ones to answer. You know as much about pitching from a mechanical standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, as anybody out there. You see consistency with elite guys as starters. I mean, not, not a ton, but, but, you know, the Verlanders of the world, the Max Scherzers of the world, the Clayton Kershaws of the world. Um, and I know you, I think you feel like you could have that with certainly Herman Marquez. When we talk about relievers specifically, uh, eliminating maybe Mariano Rivera from the equation and, and maybe Trevor Hoffman, who you had. There seems to be so few that year to year to year, just like Nolan, you know what you're going to get from Nolan next year. You're going to be 35 to 45 jacks and 115 RBIs somewhere in there, Charlie, Trevor. You know what you're going to get from them. Why is it with relievers that it seems to be such a roller coaster ride, even for guys that are seemingly elite? And I know that I'm, I'm you know, not trying to, you know, bury Wade Davis, but there's a lot of guys out there. Craig Kimbrell. There's a ton of guys that it seems like it's more of a roller coaster. Well, uh, you're right. Uh, 240 relievers, right? Eight uh, eight relievers, 30 teams. Uh, you know, on a given major league night. Uh, you know, I'd, without getting overly <laughs> overly critical, it's just that uh, you know it's. You know, the, you know, the ability to pass the test of time is <clears throat> something where it really takes true talent, right? I mean, you have to have talent. You have to have the mental capacity. You have to have the, the physical ability to, to be able to, you know, to pass the test of time. And, uh, and it's hard at times. I think you, <clears throat> you look at, again, to the highest standard, Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, you know, you mentioned those two guys, and you go back a generation: Raleigh Fingers and and others, Bruce Souter, Lee Smith, <clears throat> you know, some other fellas. Uh, you know, this day and age, you know, we can probably go through all 240, right? Uh, even our guys. You know, Wade Davis was, uh, you know, a stud for six years, seven years, and this year tough. Uh, Brian Shaw was tremendous in Cleveland. Uh, he's been a little variable here. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish I had the answer, uh, but, you know, so much is, is, is confidence, so much is momentum, uh, and a, a lot of times a, a reliever, because it's one inning, because it's maybe a big hit, a bad pitch that doesn't go their way for a couple nights, I mean, that can sort of, that can spiral a little bit and and guys can can uh, at times not recover uh for a while whether it's a month a couple weeks a half a season a year i mean i've seen it and then you know then they bounce back but uh you know i, I wish i could uh, give you a more complete answer of why it happens but uh, there's usually a, a lot of factors when you look at the offense you look at the elite teams in the league houston um Boston a year ago, low strikeout, high on base percentage, and then when they're given a pitch 
obviously they have a lineup, both those clubs, and there's others that do damage. The Dodgers fall in this class. They take their walks, and they, they are a lower strikeout uh, team. Is that the makeup of the individual, or can that, over the course of time, be taught from an organizational standpoint? Because very clearly, and, and you've said this, the Rockies offensively have to mitigate their strikeouts while increasing their walk total. Can that be done, or is that, hey, we have individuals, they're free swingers, and they're going to expand? Well, with, with this current group, you know, we have that. It's obvious in the statistics. So I think that, you know, that has to start at a at a at a you know at a, a rookie ball level if you're going to do it organizationally and it also starts from you know a little bit of a you know a scouting standpoint if you want to if you want to draft that type of player and that player's out there uh you know you know college you have a bigger sample size to to look at that uh high school player maybe a little tough but you know it can be developed it has to start at a, at a really young age to you know to you know, to get over the, uh, you know, the, the, the strikeout numbers and to increase the, you know, the walk totals through an approach and, uh, you know, being able to control the strike zone. <clears throat> With our current group, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, we talk about. And, and, you know, this year was a little frustrating that because, you know, we talked about it early in the year and, and we saw some guys, you um, get a little better right I think you know Nolan's probably the the guy who probably takes the lead in, in trying to lead by example in that uh, you know some of our other guys we have to you know it's a it's a little bit of a, a challenge for them because you know throughout their career they've they've sort of taken their at bat and their approach a certain way and to to drastically you know have a two strike approach or have them be you know selectively aggressive it it, it 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 doesn't happen overnight but it's it's a conversation and I know with the with a number of our guys that uh, you know we hope to see better results in that that the you know the ratios become better and it's uh, you know it's coaching and it's individual commitment to a team effort that uh, that that is important that we have to follow through on and uh, you know, hopefully we can see that, you know, in the in the coming years, whether you know, we can drastically change, uh, you know, from one year to the next. Uh, it's hard. But, you know, we saw the Astros do it. You know, we see we saw the Astros make a, a, a big change, uh, you know, player to player. And, uh, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, we can improve on that. I want to get a quick synopsis of you. I've, I've often said that the two months that lie the most in baseball are March and September. March, sometimes you don't know who a guy's facing. Puts up uh, robust numbers, but he may have faced a bunch of guys in double A. September, um, and I've heard you say this as well, that, that sometimes the, if you're out of it, the games may not mean as much. It's a lower stress environment. The good thing for the Rockies is down the stretch, they played a lot of high caliber teams involved in the postseason. Uh, I'll start with Chichi Gonzalez. Uh, Chichi seemed to really uh, get much better. The last five outings, um, you know, I think the ERA was below two and, and opened some eyes. How believable is it? And I mean, that's the wrong term, uh, but how how much did he open your eyes, if you will, over the last month of the season? Well, uh, I'll say it this way: I think that when I saw Chichi in the spring and uh, saw Chichi in September. Uh, there was a there was a difference in his stuff, 
you know, the, the fastball had another mile or two uh, velocity-wise. <clears throat> the movement was the same, but uh, the, the, the pitches were crisper. And uh, with, with that, I think you see, you know, better spin on the fastball, better spin on the breaking ball. Uh, the action in the hitting area much better than it was early in the year. And I think for him specifically, I think it was just the, you know, coming back from, from Tommy John surgery, gaining strength, <clears throat> gaining confidence in his stuff, uh, you know, a, a full season of, of, of throwing. Uh, his body was in baseball shape. I think it just came together for him uh, late physically. And that's, uh, that's not uncommon for guys with coming off Tommy John. Same question, buddy, for, for two young guys offensively. Garrett Hampson, who struggled early on, really came on the last four to six weeks. Sam Hilliard, who, who you got to see at this level for the first time the last four or five weeks. Well, with, with Garrett, there is a, there's a skill set there that, <clears throat> that plays in the big leagues. He can run. Uh, he's got some sneaky power in a in a body that's it's it's pretty compact and and strong, uh, multiple positions which uh, advantageous for him and the club. Uh, but with Garrett, you know, he got to the big leagues through you know minor league performance uh, with mechanically a big leg kick and some hand movement and some head movement that when uh, against minor league pitching it it was he could get away with it. But uh, when you're in the big leagues and you're facing Scherzer and Kershaw and Bueller and, and, and Kenley Jansen and Zach Granke, uh, you know, that his, his, mechan- his hitting mechanics w- w- wasn't going to happen. So to his credit, he made some changes. Uh, the, big, the big leg kick was shortened to a toe tap. The hands became a little quieter. The head became still. And with that, we saw the results. So... Uh, you know, kudos to him. Big pat on the back for making in-season adjustments, which is so hard to do. And uh, he sort of did it on the fly. And then when he got opportunity to play late in the year, he capitalized on the playing time and, and showed what he can do. Uh, you know, Sam Hilliard, uh, again, I think was a, was a fellow who we saw the last couple springs with a, with a, nice, with a, nice, set of, with a nice set of tools, runner, uh, power, uh, you know, can go get a ball in the outfield. So, uh, you know, has a school a skill set that will play in the big leagues again because of his because of his talent. Uh, we were a little worried about the strikeout rate in the minor leagues and maybe a little bit of the average. Uh, you know, his, his batting average in the minors against minor league pitching. We thought against you know big league clubs and big league pitching, it might it might be exposed a little bit. You know, but. To his credit, uh, you know Sam, uh, you know made some made some adjustments. Was really really uh, a great student, uh, learning uh, scouting reports, learning pitchers, and and I think there's a going to be a continued effort to you know to not quite a swing down, but again he's got a bigger leg kick and there's a little bit of a hard move towards the towards the mound that uh, he sort of runs. Uh, you know he's diving at the ball and the ball's coming at him. But, uh, but, he, but his hands work, Drew. He, he gets his hands in pretty good position, and he can manipulate the barrel a little bit to get the bat to the ball. So, uh, you know, he showed us some, some talent and some, you know, in-game adjustments, which is, you know, awesome. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about both those guys uh, coming in the next spring. But 
uh, again, there's a, there's a heightened focus for young players in September. They can see the finish line. Um, you know, they're they're playing hard. You know, the grind of the season is about to be over. Uh, so you get that one final push, and uh, and that's where it become a little tricky over over six months. Uh, you know that. You know that that focus and that intensity is sort of hard to recreate. Uh, you sort of run out of gas. But you know, I'm happy that those guys finish strong. And I think that uh, you know where they are and going into the winter, it, uh, you know, we're excited about those two fellows. As you look to 2020, what gives you great confidence that this club can return to where they were in 17 and 18, and ultimately win a championship? Because I know that's what you're about. That's what that's what the organization is about. Yeah, well, I think it, it starts with the you know the individual players. <clears throat> this is a you know this is a, a group of players that uh, you know are are highly highly focused and uh, intense, and and are workers uh, and they care. And that's uh, that's a great start. Uh, there's a, you know there's a unselfishness to the to the group that that I really like. <clears throat> now again, I think uh, you know I've said it before that you know of the 25 men on the active roster on a given day, and you know the guys that come up to you know help comprise that 25 man roster over uh, over time due to injuries or performance. That you know we need guys to to we need to, most of those guys to play well. You know, it can't be a 50-50 proposition where, you know, Nolan has a good year, but player X has a bad year. And Charlie has a good year, player X has a bad. It can't be 50-50. We need guys to to perform. And, uh, you know, what leads me to the confidence is that I've seen it before. You know, I've seen Kyle Freeland pitch well. I've seen Wade Davis pitch well. Uh, you know, I, the, the growth of some of our younger guys, McMahon, Tapia, Walters, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there should be, you know, incremental uh, improvement. Uh, a ton, we don't know, but you know, they should stay at the level where they are, <clears throat> and and hopefully improve a little bit more. But I think the the bounce back factor is is something that uh, is real, and I think can happen with our group. And if that happens, and to your point, if guys um, keep doing what they've done in the past, Nolan, Chuck, Trevor. Uh, you know, we we can make this happen, and you know, we get some contributions from bounce backs from from Murphy, and uh, you know, some of our our, our pitchers, both starters and relievers. Uh, you know, we can we can get back to prominence. Have a good drive back. Get some sleep, man. Thanks, Drew. Uh, great uh, great chatting with you about baseball. You know how I love that. That Buddy Black interview brought to you by Ideal Home Loans, bringing us uh, the interviews on this podcast. So one of the maddening things that Buddy talked about was the bullpen, obviously, and he knows, you know, he knows pitching better than we do. But that was maddening for us to watch that only knowing because Wade Davis, we know what he can do. Right. And it was but it was so it was such a weakness for this team. And I know it was frustrating for all the guys. But I mean, I don't like I don't even know what to expect next year. Yeah, and, and bullpen's always fluid, and I thought it was interesting the conversation about that, Julie, as you heard, because it's like uh, I compared it. You heard me. I compared it to Nolan. Every year, we know what Nolan's going to do. He's going to hit 35 to 45 homers. He's going to drive in 100-plus runs every year. He's going to hit somewhere in the 300 neighborhood. I think you can probably say that now safely about Trevor Story. Um, you know Charlie's going to hit every year. But bullpen guys, right now we're sitting here, Julie, you and I, and we're and we're saying we don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. Brian Shaw next year 
could all of a sudden be lights out after two relatively last year was a bad year. This mm-hmm. year was a mixed bag, mm-hmm. but he hasn't pitched at all like he did in Cleveland. Bullpen guys outside of, and you heard Buddy and I talk about Trevor Hoffman, who you know well, and Mariano Rivera. Most of those guys, it's a friggin' roller coaster ride. It is, but this was an extreme one, right? Like yeah. this was, was what is bad. the one at Elich's? Is it the the twister, the mind blower, the mind eraser? Mind eraser. We went on the mind eraser this year. Did you go? With the bullpen. No, oh. I can't anymore. I get nauseous. Oh, okay. Well, the bullpen made a lot of people nauseous <laughs> this year. Overall pitching was terrible. It was the yeah. Rockies had, I think it was the third worst team ERA that, that they've ever had after the last two years. Pitching carried them. Buddy pointed this out. I think it was in the press conference, or maybe it was on um, during the interview. My mind is nauseous. Yeah, it was nauseous. But um, mm-hmm. he he pointed out that even in the postseason last year, Julie, they didn't score against Milwaukee. They scored two runs, but the pitching was good. Pitch, Kyle Freeland was great against the Cubs to get the Rockies. It took thirteen mm-hmm. innings, but they beat the Cubs. Right, pitching was unbelievable. So this year. The pitching really took a big step back, and and there wasn't. Uh, I always call it. You, you have to have baseball symmetry. On the days, you, you know, on the days they hit, they didn't pitch. On the days they they pitched, they didn't hit, and and vice versa. But um, it was interesting stuff. I think the Rockies, you know, in summation, realized the brass realized they there's areas they definitely need to get better and they plan on addressing them and they're as disappointed as a fan base so speaking of not feeling well i have to say i felt like that on sunday i went to the bronco game i cannot believe that that this is where we are in this franchise it's not that i can't believe that they lost to jacksonville because jacksonville i mean the broncos were the ones that came into the game without a win right jacksonville i think came in at one and two it's that it's 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 losing the late leads. It's now what's happening in the locker room after. Like this fran this team right now is on the verge of talk about rebuild is on the verge of of really splitting. I mean that locker room to have somebody like Chris Harris who is a leader say hey I've only got, you know I've got 13 weeks left. 13 left. And Von Miller does very short a short press conference, you know, what 13 seconds last last week. They're well, they're clearly not having any kind of fun and they're clearly finger pointing. Uh a couple of takeaways for me. We felt and I think most fans would concur with our original assessment going into the season that the Broncos probably weren't going to be a championship-caliber team or maybe even a postseason team. But they had a chance to be decent, seven, eight wins. That constitutes mediocrity, but that also is a synonym for decent. Based on their defense, based on their defense with Chubb, who's now out for the season, and Von Miller, Chris Harris leading the secondary, that they would be able to... To, to keep opponents off the scoreboard and give this, you know, offense in transition a chance. So twice now, Julie, they have the defense on the field in the waning moments of a football game with the lead. They couldn't hold the Bears, and they couldn't hold Jacksonville from scoring. Isn't it amazing that we're talking about the Broncos' defense losing games instead of, I mean, I thought it might be like everybody was all over Joe Flacco. Right, it's not about the quarterback anymore. 
which was the story in the past years. It's about the Bronco defense who've had a couple pickups, Bryce Callahan, or, you know, from, from the bears who hasn't even played yet. I mean, I just, I never expected that we'd be talking about the finger would be pointed at the Broncos defense. Right. Well, here's the other thing. And, and we can talk about, you know, in baseball, we talk about all kinds of stats and now there's more stats than, than, you know, you can, you could ever figure out in, in uh, you know, in, in taking a PhD in sabermetrics. The number one stat in football for me will always be not passing yards, not third down conversions. It's all about turnover ratio. It's about takeaways on defense. So the Broncos, through four football games, that's 240 minutes of football, they have zero takeaways. It's pretty simple, right? If you have the ball and you get the ball eight times in a game, seven, eight times, and we get the ball seven or eight times, you know, pretty equal playing field. But if we take it away and you now only get it, say, five and a half times because you've turned it over a couple, and now we have it nine times in short fields, et cetera, we all know where I'm going with this, you have a much better chance at winning. The most important stat in any football environment high school college nfl will always be takeaways broncos got none another indictment of this defense not only did they not get stops late in games they haven't taken the football away so do you throw up your hands and go okay we're in a rebuild right now or do you think okay they can try and get back to maybe seven and nine eight and eight because that's that's two different kind of ways you're going to go, depending on that answer, right? If it's if it's a rebuild, you're looking at Drew Locke coming in as soon as he can. If it's a rebuild, you're playing every single young player. If it's a rebuild, you're trying to get, or if it's if it's not a rebuild, you're trying to get guys back a little earlier from injury. But at zero and four, and looking at the schedule, I mean, they've got the Chargers, they've got the Titans, they've got the Chiefs, they've got the Colts, they've got the Browns, which doesn't sound like like. And the Vikings, all those, all those teams though, are two and two right now, and the Chiefs are, you know, are four and zero. Oh. They're those... not. They're not beating the Chiefs. Let's. No. We'll set the the other games. Are they if beating they the play Chargers? Really well, you're going to favor the Chargers. Yeah, obviously they're not going to beat the Chargers. Right. Well, all those other games, they have a shot because I've seen enough decent things with them. I thought they played a pretty good first half until the pick mm-hmm. by Flacco. Bad pick. They played a really good first half. But he's not losing games for them. I would say that. Where the quarterbacks before for the Broncos were losing games, that's not. He's also not. And I don't want to. Joe Flacco's been okay. All right. I agree with you, Julie. But we haven't seen anybody make plays offensively like Minshew made a couple plays bouncing around the pocket you think he sacked a couple times next thing you know throws a throws a touchdown pass or or throws a pass to keep the sticks moving we haven't seen that there's no there's nothing dynamic about the Bronco offense like Cortland Sutton I think Mm -hmm. he's growing up Um, obviously Sanders has, has played pretty well um, but there's nothing. There's only been one explosive run so far this year, um, you know, for for Philip Lindsay, and so there, there's nothing that you get super excited about. The worst place to be is mediocre, and the Broncos, at best, are mediocre. So yeah, at some point in time, you start thinking about how are we going to make ourselves so we're really good going forward in maybe two years from now. So that that has to be part of the equation. Okay, so what do you think about this? I don't know if it's being a homer. I don't know if it's being a native. But when I hear people talking about always got to go, 
now it's time to, to fire John Elway. I, I can't go there. I cannot, I can't. Growing up here, I, I, I'm not ready to, to do that. Well, the thing about fans always will be this. When things don't go well, you want somebody to pay. And so you want to fire the quarterback figuratively or literally fire a general manager. Um, I understand those sentiments. I also understand that, you know, John Elway is will always be number one in our town for what he accomplished on the field. He also, as an executive, won a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you know, forget about that and, and dismiss that. I think John is a is a very bright guy. I love that the general manager, president, whatever the hell the, the official title is, is a super competitive guy that is 100% all about winning. I love the statement. There you know there is no plan B. Um I I don't think he ever looks at the Broncos in a rebuild mode kind of like the Yankees never talk about well we're going to rebuild for a couple of years. It's all about winning now. So I applaud him. Uh, I think if we're still having the same conversation you know, a year from now. Well, they have one that lost eight straight. Uh, they've lost it. The only time they had worse than that is I was a uh, I was uh, barely alive. It was nineteen sixty three to sixty four. They lost. I think it was ten in a row. Is that right, Julie? Something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is the longest losing streak since then. Um, That's a. I understand that he for sure, for sure, has a hand in this and a big hand in what's going on right now. But that conversation, I think, comes a bit later. Yeah. It, it, what, what, are you better? I mean, if the, if the Broncos, and I don't know who would do it, Joe Ellis, if the, and that's not going to happen. If, if the Broncos did that at some point in time in the middle of the season, are you better? No, you're not. So I, I, I think that's reactionary. Um, I, I think it's fair to say John has not done a good job in appraising young quarterbacks, which is – somewhat shocking considering he's one of the all-time greats mm -hmm. uh, but there's been a lot of good things on his resume as well okay so before we get to a, a last game of, of would you rather where are the broncos going to pick up their first win is it going to be at the chargers is it going to be against tennessee who's coming into empower field slash mile high is it the chiefs what is it where's when their next win is mm -hmm. let me look at that schedule of yours okay we're passing notes right now. You are passing notes because you can't forget your next little uh, thing. No, there. I won't. I'm, um, so next week's the charges. No. <laughs> nope. I can't read your chicken scratch. Who do we go to Broncos play after the charges? Tennessee. They beat, they beat Tennessee. Okay. There it is. They beat Tennessee. That's an easy one. Okay. Let's do would you rather. Got my first question for you. Okay. Would you rather listen to the Avalanche game on radio for the season opener, or would you rather just look at highlights online? Meaning that I don't believe the first game of the Avalanche season we're going to get to see on Altitude TV. And this is an interesting conversation. Uh, it's a conversation sports fans are having. I used to work there. You know people there. Um it is not a good situation right now. It, it's it's a terrible situation. I want to see it just like every other fan. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Avs. Uh, I love where the Nuggets are. I love Coach Malone. Uh, you have two really exciting teams. You covered them both very recently, Julie, on a day to day basis. This is not. Th th there's not going to be a quick fix to this. I I hope I'm wrong. 
this is not a quick fix. The landscape in sports television and regional sports networks has changed dramatically. So many people are cutting the cord. The most expensive channels for the provider are regional sports networks and ESPN, the sports channels. And then they pass it along. Well, the reality is they, they have, they've gotten tired of, of paying that knowing that, yeah, we, people who listen to our podcast, they love sports, right? We love sports. We make our living in sports. Um, but they don't want to keep passing that along, and they have to find a new way to monetize it. And for people who think, oh, no, fans will be up in arms. They'll get this thing fixed. Not so fast. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the team that's won seven straight division titles as we chit-chat today, 5.6 million television homes in Southern California. Do you know how many get um, Sportsnet uh, Spectrum, which carries the Dodgers? How many? 1.5 million. Wow. So the vast majority don't get Spectrum and don't. And this has been ongoing for six years now since they did this this deal. That's not good news for Aston no. Nuggets fans. So people go, no, they'll give in. No, they won't. And the, and the problem is the that Altitude had the deals and on the same day with DirecTV, Dish Network, and Comcast, the three largest providers in our area. So they have no leverage. If it was just one, they could say, well, you know what, there were you know, go across the street and, and switch providers and you'll be able to get, you know, all your avalanche games, all your nugget games. So it's not, it's, it's not, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm dead wrong. And they can somehow at the 11th hour at the stroke of midnight, find a way to, um, to make this work. But I think nationally, Julie, they're looking at this as a test case, you know, obviously Comcast, direct TV dish network, they're, they're not only, big domestically in right. direct TV, they're international, et cetera. They're looking at this particular regional as a test case. Right. And also the regionals are looking at it. If altitude can figure out a semi kind of answer on doing it in an alternative fashion, whatever that is, they're talking about YouTube or Hulu. I, I don't know. I'm not that, you know, I'm not tied into that anymore, but they're looking at alternative ways where it's not going to get done on direct TV or dish or, right. so, I mean, all eyes are on, you know, and I um, and every regional's in this boat. Yeah, uh, I, I know today. Uh, you know, AT and T announced, or yesterday, I guess, announced a deal uh, with the Rockies. But you know, for every deal that comes up now at these sports regionals, mm-hmm. they're looked upon differently because so many people are getting their, um, you know, their their programming in different ways than they did 10, 12 years ago, where it was a no brainer. So we shall see. I think week by week, it's going to yeah. be a different conversation. But as of now, I don't think we're going to see that avalanche opener on Altitude TV. Okay. Ready for some more Would You Rathers? Uh, yeah. I hope they're not as um, strenuous to go through <laughs> as that. I know. I think that stresses both out. Because no, it, bums me, it bums me out. I feel I feel sick for the fans. I, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not good. Would you rather see Joe Flacco in week nine which is when Drew Locke would be available to play or against the Browns, or do you want to see Drew Locke? I want to see Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's a better quarterback right now. I do want to see Drew Locke at some point in time, but based on what I saw in in camp, he probably needs to sit back and watch for a while 
and get reps in practice. I think it would be a monumental disaster if he played in an NFL game the first week he came back. But what if they're like two and seven? I I think you can do more harm to a young player if he truly isn't ready, even if the club is going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the premise of uh, or the basis of, of why I say that. Not that Drew Locke hopefully one day isn't a really good quarterback. We all hope that living out here. But I think if you get thrown to the wolves too early, it can do irreparable damage. With Halloween coming up, as a child, would you rather get a homemade popcorn ball as a kid or raisins? Oh, boy. What happened to good chocolate? Why That's can't you get choice. like a Hershey's <laughs> almond bar or whatever? Oh, raisins were such a bummer. But the homemade a popcorn ball way. was like, I don't know who made this. I'm not eating the cotton. I'm going to do my New York. What is it? I'm not eating the popcorn ball. All right. <laughs> what did I'm you get when you went trick-or-treating in New York? What's that? Did you go trick-or-treating in the city? Yeah, we went out as thugs all the time. <laughs> we did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, what do you guys we give away? We did that on a day-to-day basis also. Mm-hmm. Um, what was my other? I'll have raisins. Okay. Yeah. The If it, you give out homemade popcorn balls, especially today, you know no that's going to go right in the trash. Yeah. We used to worry about like if somebody gave you an apple, there could be a razor blade in it. Mm, I know. That probably yeah. happened every once in a while. Uh, if you are a baseball GM right now, would you rather hire Joe Madden or Clint Hurdle? Ooh. That's a good question. And I know you like Clint Hurdle as a friend. Yeah. Clint, Clint's, a, Clint's a friend. Um, I, I th- Honestly, I'm going to cop out on this. I'm going to give a geographic answer. If I'm on the West Coast, if I'm the Angels, he has long, Madden has longtime ties there. Uh, I, I think, you know, whether it's there or San Diego, Joe Madden uh, makes sense. I still think there's going to be some more jobs uh, out there. And if you have a young team and you need a master motivator, I think Clint, you know, I think Clint, uh, he still has great energy. I think he would be a good hire, you know, somewhere in a market like that where they're where they're young and, you know, and rebuilding. As the Broncos season looks like it's going to go, would you rather have the Bowens continue to own the Broncos or would you like to go out and find some new ownership, some fresh ideas, some new blood? I don't lose sleep over which very well-to-do family <laughs> owns various professional franchises unless like I was a, if I was a fan of the Washington Redskins, I would be very upset that Daniel Snyder's my owner mm-hmm. because I He's think a jerk. Yeah, and it, uh, even more so than Daniel Snyder. I grew up as you know in New York and I was a huge New York, New York Knicks fan. Well, that is an absolute disaster there. Um so it it does matter. I th- I still look at the Broncos as well run, even though, you know, it's been this kind of triumvirate, basically led by Joe Ellis. He's been the most visual visible uh person that has been entrusted to, you know, running the organization uh when when Pat Bolin was still alive and was suffering from Alzheimer's and obviously Pat Bolin's no longer alive. Um it it sounds like if they can work it out, I'm sure in time either one of the daughters will, you know, do a do a fine job. I, I really I don't stay up late worrying about that. I don't think that the Broncos right now are 0 four because there's some you know, because there there's a disconnect in, within the family as to who, you know, will be the next official owner. 
As we head into the first days of fall, would you rather have a pumpkin spice latte or would you rather not? Here's the thing, Julie. I had never had a pumpkin wow, you spice just latte. Up. Okay. I did. Yeah. And and I don't know if you knew this, if you had like some space camera following me around. Last week, because it's now getting close to October. It is I October. At, I was at my office. <laughs> it's October. You oh, know that, right? Is it October now? Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Um, I got to flip the calendar. Um I was in a Starbucks, which is my office, as you know, mm. and they had the little um, shot glasses of try, try me, mm-hmm. and it was pumpkin spice latte. I had never had one. Oh. I tried it, and I was like, damn, this is good. <laughs> right? So what was the question? <laughs> would you rather have a pumpkin spice, spice latte or not? I mean, some people- No, I, I would yeah. like to have a pumpkin spice latte. And you know what? We call I, them, people that really know them, PSLs. What? Excuse me? P. S L. Oh, you said that. You say that. What did you think I said? I don't know. I was afraid <laughs> that you committed yeah. six FCC violations. No. Okay. So now we know that we like pumpkin spice lattes. So I there do. we go. Yeah. That's it. Is that the end of the game? That's the end of the game. Therefore, the end of the show as the well. The end of the show. Mm-hmm. Well, our big thanks to Buddy Black for joining us. And Buddy, uh, Buddy, after he joined us, was getting in his car and starting to trek to because he divides time between here and his home and outside of San Diego, and so he was Buddy drive carefully. We wish Buddy well. Yeah, love Buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, so I'll see you next week. Uh, You will on show number 13, podcast number 13. We thank all of our listeners, our loyal listeners, and uh, tell friends about, uh, about our little podcast. We'll see you next time. podcast with julie brownman remember you can find us on itunes spotify google play stitcher or wherever you find your favorite podcasts and remember check out our website at the drew goodman podcast.com 